Welcome to Education Perspectives. I am your host, Liza Holland. This is a podcast that explores the role of education in our society from a variety of lenses. Education needs to evolve to meet the needs of today and the future. Solving such huge issues requires understanding. Join me as we begin to explore the many perspectives of education. Amy McVeigh currently serves as the Vice President of Improvement Services with Cognia, a nonprofit supporting institutions, teachers, leaders, and learners in all areas of continuous school improvement and professional learning across the globe. A 35-year veteran in education, Amy has experience as a primary and intermediate teacher, curriculum coach, and principal. Before joining Cognia, she was the principal of Veterans Park Elementary and NCLB Blue Ribbon School and Dixie Elementary School, both in Lexington, Kentucky. She also served on and chaired the Advanced Ed Sachs-Cassie Kentucky Council, as well as participated as a voting member in the Advanced Ed National Accreditation Commission. Amy holds a bachelor's degree in elementary education from Eastern Kentucky University, a master's degree in elementary education from Georgetown College, and a school leadership certification from the University of Kentucky. As a lifelong learner, she is currently a student in the Education Systems Improvement Doctoral Program at the University of South Carolina. With her work at Cognia, Amy now gets the privilege of supporting teachers and educational leaders with strategic thinking and planning, leadership development, student engagement, and other professional learning opportunities. Well, Amy McVeigh, welcome to Education Perspectives. Thank you. I am excited um, to get to talk with you today, Laza. Me too. Me too. You were such a major role model for me when I had the started the education journey with my kids as uh, as principal of their elementary school. So it's fun to kind of come full circle and speak with you again. Well, it's great. I enjoyed working with you when you were a parent volunteer and, and all your leadership you took in PTA at all levels. So it was great to watch you grow and do that as well, along with your kids. That was the fun part. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So the first question I ask every guest is from a 30,000 foot view. Why do we as a society invest in education? Well, that is a hard question, but a great question, because I think we as a society know the importance of education and the doors that it opens for our kids. But what I think has changed, and even before COVID, but now especially because of the pandemic, is that the possibilities with education are endless. It's not the traditional education that we grew up with that, you know, my parents grew up with that were both educators, but it's the possibilities that we have just across the world in those doors that open for kids because they have an education and our education is not based on, on, you know, facts. And, and I can even remember before I retired, and I've been retired from public schools for seven years. My husband says I fake retired because I have another full-time job. So, but I can remember saying then, if you can Google it, you know, we don't need to spend time on it anymore. And now with AI, it's a whole different world because more so than ever, education is important because we've got to teach kids to be able to think and problem solve 
and work together and use critical thinking skills at a level that we've never seen before. So that education, while it has changed, is vital to the success of our kids and then to us and our society. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your own personal education journey. What drew you to education and uh, what have you done since then? Well, it's a kind of funny story. Both my parents were educators. My dad was a principal for 35 years. My mom was a teacher and I went to college and I absolutely was not going to be an educator because I had grown up in that in a small town in Kentucky and, you know, the school was very much part of the community. So I had been volunteered. I did all kinds of things in my dad's elementary school growing up. And so I was not going to be an educator. And so I went to school pre-law and got a paralegal and got through about two semesters. And I thought, I don't want to do this. I don't want to spend my time in an office. I want to work with people and kids. And so I, um, changed my major to elementary education and went home and told my parents. (laughs) And so that was kind of it. And from there, I was never going to be a principal because I had lived that with my dad my whole life and saw that. And I think about five years in, I thought, I really want to be a principal because if I can make a difference in my classroom, imagine what I can do if I can help teachers make a difference in every classroom. And that, to me, was the perfect job because you got to work with kids, you got to work with parents, community, teachers. And so that was just a wonderful job. And so I did that for 16 years at two elementary schools in Lexington. So that was great. And I retired and I accidentally took a full-time job with Cognia. So Cognia is a, a school improvement organization. So we, um, a lot of people know us for accreditation, but we're so much more than accreditation. And I'm very lucky because I get to work on the professional learning side. So I get to solution and problems to solve with schools and school leaders and districts, leaders and state departments around how we can help them with their continuous improvement. And then even more exciting than that is I get to go in and work with schools. So I work with lots of schools. Next week, I'm on my way to North Dakota to work on a reservation there with a school that I've had a couple of years with around strategic thinking and planning and how they can leverage that strategic thinking and planning to truly move the needle in a very remote place with a lot of obstacles. um, And how can they think out of the box to do that? And on top of that and that job, I also have decided that probably I need to to do a little education myself. And so I am in the doctoral program at the University of South Carolina doing improvement science. So I've already a couple classes in learned so much. My team's probably tired of me saying, hey, have we thought about this? So I think that's the other thing about education. It's you just can't stop. And I don't want to say I'm a lifelong learner because everybody says that, but you're constantly learning and it's just so important to what you do. You know, I know that sometimes it sounds trite, but I really, really think that that's one of the things that needs to change in school is that focus to let kids know that you're always going to be continually learning because we're 
I've listened to a number of employers and they tell me that there's the skill sets that they are really looking for is someone who can learn, unlearn and relearn. Absolutely. And that's got to keep coming. Well, um, I was really fortunate. We had, Cogni had a leadership summit just a couple of weeks ago and we brought in John Maxwell to meet with some school leaders in our main office in Alpharetta. And I wrote down, John Maxwell said, learning and growth has no finish line. And, you know, that's different. That's a real mindset shift for everybody because we've always had take the class, get the grade, move on, take the class, get the grade, move on. And there really isn't a finish line. We're not going to get there. It's going to change and evolve. And that's so important. And, you know, the old system is not terribly compatible with all of those skill sets that you were talking about before, the need for critical thinking and collaboration and and process and problem solving, all those types of skills are not terribly compatible with learn a little, get an A, move on. So exactly. That's so cool. So tell me why you think it's important for groups like yours to be able to come in and assess schools and share outside knowledge with them in their learning and planning process? Well, I always tell everybody, you know, we can see our faults and we think we see our faults and our successes. And, but to have someone else look at that and then be able to give you a unbiased opinion of that and with suggestions and with success, that's one of the things about Cognia we've been working with, for instance, diagnostic reviews in Kentucky for a number of years. And we've seen great success with that process where we identify those root causes for schools. And then we help them with, okay, what's the plan? How can you address these? Because it becomes very overwhelming in a school very quickly because everything's being piled on schools right now. And to be able to identify, okay, here's some issues. Here are the things you're doing really well and let's build on those. But let's also look at, okay, what can we leverage to make a difference? And what are some successful strategies that we can help um, you do to build that? And I think one of the things that I love about the job and I love is that we really build those relationships. And so not only do we build relationships with the schools and districts and, and people we're working with, but we model that they've got to build relationships. Um, I many years ago worked with the principal mentor, principal internship in the state of Kentucky when I was a principal. And the hardest people to mentor were the people who knew the answers or knew how to do school improvement. So they just wanted to come in and tell everybody how to do it and didn't stop to build the relationships. And so a lot of times those new principals that really struggled were the ones that I had to say, wait a minute, back up. You got to have a relationship first. You know, the teachers, the parents, the community, they've got to buy in to what you're doing. You may be exactly right, but you got to take them with you. And so I think we've got to stop and look and even more so you know, go back to the skills. If you talk to the employers now, they want people that have those communication skills. My daughter-in-law works for Amazon and she supervises a ton of people, but she has to be able to communicate with them virtually all the time. They're all remote. 
So lots of different skills that aren't those facts you can Google anymore. Absolutely. The uh, the landscape, it is a changing and uh, not to mention the global pandemic that threw everything in, into the virtual world. That is amazing. You were so kind as to suggest that I get involved with Cognia to be a part of a diagnostic team. And so this week I have been going through all of the training online basis. And one of the things that really sticks out to me is that relationship piece. And it's also the positive focus that you take because, you know, education suffered from consultants swooping in and having the next great shiny thing to do and, and educators try to get on board with it. And then it's on to the next thing because it's not even there. So I think there's a lot of fatigue out there about the next new shiny thing in education. Do you find that that plays out as you're working with the schools that focus on looking at where your strengths are and then also where you might be able to build and improve? Well, I think what Cognia really has going for them, and I don't want to at all make it a commercial for Cognia, even though I'm, I am passionate about what we do, is our standards. So everything's based on our standards and our standards are all research based. So when you look at that and you say, okay, we're doing this because we know this is the best for our kids in our schools and that's what they focus on and you can draw people back to something, then it's no longer the latest program, the latest consultant, the latest. It, we draw everything back to our standards. So whether we're doing accreditation, whether we're doing diagnostic review, whether we're doing professional learning about student engagement, we're looking how does this support our standards because our standards are research-based. And I think it's so important when you look at our standards to know that we research and review them every six years. So they're not something that was created and it's here forever, but it's fresh and new. And sometimes people struggle with that and the adults because they say, you know, okay, why are you changing your standards? Well, look where we've been in the past five years. So why wouldn't we change? It's kind of like the saying, when you know better, you do better. And so I don't like to tell my age, <laughs> but when I was first, so my dad was very involved in SAC, Southern Association, which is where Cognia came from. And I can remember him doing school visits, his school being accredited. So when I became a principal, there was no discussion. I mean, my school would be accredited, period, end of story. And I'm proud to say Veterans Park Elementary is still the only accredited elementary school in Lexington. And so, but one of the standards at that time was how many library books you had. And so you actually had to count library books. So see how far our standards have come now that they focus on the culture of learning, the leadership for learning, engagement of learning and growth in learning. So a big shift because we know better now. We, you know, my dad, when he was a principal, was a manager. And now we know that, yes, you still got to manage that stuff, but you've truly got to be the instructional leader for your building. You know, the pace of change is so crazy and changing a an institution like education is, it's not an easy thing to do because <laughs> there are so many rules and regulations and standards and all that kind of a thing. 
I'd love to get your thoughts on where we are as far as assessments are concerned, because I really feel like you get what you measure for, because if you know, all the teachers, all the principals, all the district people, they're going to be focused on assessments. We just had our Kentucky assessments come out this past week. But it concerns me that are we measuring for the right things anymore? It's kind of like your comment about if you can Google it, it's not necessary for us to spend time on it because we do. We all walk around with the internet in our pockets now and it's it's a lot more about process and that's a little more challenging to assess. But I'd love your thoughts and you know what you've heard out there as far as what we might be able to do to bring the assessment side of school up to this current time. Well, I think that's a really hard question because, you know, with no child left behind and the iterations that followed after that since COVID, there's been that accountability. And what is that accountability model? But we've also seen, and Kentucky again leading the way, ways to look at what local accountability could look like. And so Dr. Lou Young and leads that work in Kentucky, you know, they have a committee that's looking at that and how, what's it look like? How can we hold schools accountable, but with local accountability? What, you know, because as I work with schools all across the United States, here's the comment I hear every time. Yes, we know you have a solution for that. We know we've seen the work you've done, but our school's different. And that's true. I mean, it's not, you know, it's in the beginning, I thought, well, is your school really different? But yes, your school is different. You know, I'm working with a district in North Dakota and we, we've worked really hard on strategic thinking and planning and the kindergarten teacher left. And it's pivotal that they have a strong kindergarten teacher in this small um, tribal school in a rural North Dakota, they're 70 miles from a Walmart. And so, I mean, it's just devastating when something like that happens. And what's the next step? I told my husband I was going to move to North Dakota and teach kindergarten again, because that also probably was one of my favorite jobs. But I think, you know, what is success? What's local accountability look like? And then really looking at instead of that summative end of the year assessment, that one snapshot, how are we using curriculum-based assessments? I heard Dr. Elgar, our CEO, talk this just this week about, you know, are schools using curriculum-based assessments that are truly assessing what the teachers have taught? Have the students learned that? And can we move on? Instead of that summative that we look at that's the whole year and really looking at getting down to what makes a difference. We talk a lot about not formative assessments, but a formative process to assess because we've got to know where kids are and what they need instead of that blanket. Everybody needs the same thing. True, true. And I tell you, with the kids today, having grown up in the internet world that we have, they're looking and demanding that customization. And it's one size fits all does not work anymore. No. And so when we look at that, one of the challenges we have to look at, maybe you're going to ask me this next, is how do we retain our teachers? You know, because our teachers were not trained that way. And so 
on top of all the things we're asking teachers to do, we're also asking teachers to have a real mindset shift in what education looks like. And so I think sometimes they get left out of that, what it's going to look like. We do a lot of professional learning around mindset. And that mindset starts with Dweck's work and what is it, what's your mindset? Because if you want your kid, your school to have a growth mindset, then do you have one? And a lot of times teachers all of a sudden are like, wait a minute, you know, those phrases I've used, that language I've used for years and years really is not a growth mindset. And then really a lot talking with our parents and community, we leave them out sometimes when we talk about mindset, because we're talking about the school and the teacher. But as parents, sometimes, you know, we set our kids up because we don't have that growth mindset for kids either. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you completely. And I also think that we think a little small when it comes to parents and community and whatnot. Hey, we want to involve you. What's your, what are your thoughts? Okay. We're going to take care of it now, as opposed to really building authentic partnership. I'm working now in the space with, um, with business and industry. And one of their complaints is by the time your kids graduate, the, you know, the stuff you're teaching them is obsolete. Well, okay. I know we live in a really fast paced world. How can we build systems to bring that new knowledge to our teachers? Because the teachers are professionals. They know how to teach. They know how to break down information, all those types of things, but they don't know what they don't know, you know, and we can't expect that of them. I like that, you know, that retention piece, because it is, it's a complete mindset shift in how to, how to approach and the types of kids that you're teaching today are not the same as you were teaching 10, 20 years ago. They just, they have different mindsets. Well, and two, you know, we've got to look at higher ed and, and what are we, what are teachers learning? What are leaders learning? In higher ed, I'm in this improvement science program in the University of South Carolina. In two classes, I've learned so much that is applicable to what I'm doing, which I'm going to say years ago, probably when I was in school, not a lot of it applied. Uh, when I graduated from college and got my first job in January, so, you know, went in the middle of a year in fifth grade in Eastern Kentucky, a lot of what I learned in college did not apply. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And so I think higher ed's really looking at that, but we've got to partner together to get there. You know, it's such a multi-layered process. It really is. And I think that the higher you go and getting into a doctoral program, you're hearing the cutting edge types of things, but maybe not so much for the, you know, the entering freshman and undergrad. So there's, there's room for continuous improvement for all of us. Yes. Oh, look, you know, that's because that's what we say. It is continuous improvement. Absolutely. So I'm a communicator and I think stories are incredibly powerful. Can you tell us a story or a favorite memory about uh, your time working in education? There's just so many. And, you know, having parents that were educators, my mother said in the beginning, she said, you need to write them down. I wanted your dad to write them down and he never wrote them down. You need to write them down. And so I, here I am, you know, 35 years later, that same spot my dad was and I didn't write anything down. So um, <laughs> I think my favorite memories or stories about education were really just when I was in the classroom. And when I got to work with kids and you saw, I pinpoint that moment 
but I can say I can think of lots of moments when you saw kids really succeed and I taught a variety of levels. I taught um, fifth grade, I taught first, second, kindergarten, and you just saw that, oh my goodness, I can do this. I can get it. And giving kids those that confidence that they can do it and just that understanding that they can do it is makes a world of difference. And then I think, too, now in this role, working with lots of different schools, I feel like um, I have the opportunity to impact bigger programs. And if I can just, again, go back to those relationships, you know, it's often, you know, once I'm in a school, I kind of joke, they have me forever because, you know, two years later, when they need somebody to bounce something off, they call again and say, hey, hey, Amy, have you thought about this? If I did this, would this work? You know, so it's those relationships. I can't say, oh, this is my absolutely favorite memory. I can tell lots of funny stories and I can go all the way back to my dad. So my dad and I, I, one of my favorite, I was sitting before I was a teacher, I was sitting out in high school, I was sitting outside my dad's office and he had a little boy in his office that was in trouble. And I don't remember what the little boy did, but he said, my dad just like gave him his best pep talk about why he needed to really just apply himself. And, you know, his parents were counting on him and it was so important. Well, my dad was an avid hunter and he had a stuffed pheasant on the uh, wall on the side of in his office. And so my dad gave his best pep talk and he said to the little boy, he said, now, do you understand why this is so important? Little boy said, Mr. Breeding, is that bird real? And we outside of the office just started laughing because we thought, you know, everything dad had said was not important to that kid. He had one focus. Was that bird real? And, you know, to me, I use that story sometimes when I'm talking to principals and teachers and I'm like, okay, is what we're doing relevant or is it just going right over everybody's head? Because we just want to know if the bird's real. We don't care about all this other stuff. And sometimes we just have to slow down and think about, are we relevant? I think that's really wise advice. And it comes back to that meeting kids where they are, Mm -hmm. because if they don't have, you know, some of their basic needs met, they're not necessarily going to be open to learning. Mm -hmm. And that's the relationship piece, again, is getting to know them well enough to be able to see, ooh, something happened. What's going on? Do you need to talk? you know, whatever that is, because once they really know that you care about them, then they're willing to work for you. Absolutely. That's so special. Wow. So we talked a little bit about the fact that education is a big boat to turn. What are the biggest challenges and obstacles that you're facing from the perspective you're seeing things now? Well, you know, I hate to pick what everybody's picking, but I think it all goes to teacher retention at this point. You know, there's and probably bigger than teacher retention in how we're supporting our teachers so that we can retain our teachers. And I touched on it a little bit, but, you know, it's teaching has always been an incredibly hard job. It's always been much more than a 40 hour week. And everybody knows that. And it's not summers off like people think. And I think now for teachers and even kids coming out of college, there are so many options and we've got to think about what we're doing for teachers to, and not just 
teacher training, but social emotionally for teachers to support teachers so that we can keep the best and the brightest teachers. You know, it is nothing now for kids to have three, four, five. I've lost count of how many son jobs my son's had since he graduated from college. I think he's got one now that sticks because he works for himself. So that's a positive. But I think, you know, we don't understand that at a little past middle age because we're used to you became a teacher and you were a teacher for 30 years. That's the end. And now our teachers have lots of options. So what are we doing to support teachers, the whole teacher, not just the teacher education, but the social and emotional? I think that's the biggest challenge I see right now is I just see lots of really tired teachers and we just continue to add to what they're doing. So when I do a professional learning, I always say, you know, if you're a teacher, thank you for being here. Thank you for learning. And my goal is that when you leave today, you have something you can use tomorrow because you don't have time to figure it out right now. You know, I really, I keep hearing in so many different aspects in my life about that start small to get big. And I think that there are so many small things that we could do that would make teachers' lives better. And I think that that puts a whole lot of a different onus on the principals to be really in charge of the health and wellness of the staff in the building, not just physically, but mentally as well. And I'll, I would be remiss if I didn't say leadership retention is just as big a problem. I mean, the a, the average age of principals, I've not seen the data, but I can tell you it's a lot younger. And, you know, the number of new principals, new superintendents, um, we work with a school and then the next year that superintendent's gone and the next year that superintendent's gone and the next year, you know, just a, a vicious cycle because that's a, a terrible hard job too. And if you don't have that consistent leadership, you know, we talk a lot when we look at our standards, are the practices embedded in what you do? And if you have constant leadership change, then those processes cannot become embedded. And so, you know, we got to look at our leaders too. We do a lot at Cognia to support leaders, a lot of creative different ways because leaders need that support too. And leadership is a lonely job in education because as a principal, you know, there's nobody else in your building that understands what you're doing. I um, always made me smile. And um, when I was a principal, we didn't have assistant principals. We called them professional staff assistants in Lexington, Kentucky. And so, you know, a teacher would say, I'm interested in leadership and we work with them and they, they become this professional staff assistant. So basically an assistant principal. And the first couple months, they just went as fast as they could go. And it probably two, three months never failed. They'd come sit down in my office and they'd say, I need to apologize. And I go, apologize. And they go, yeah, I had no idea when I was a teacher, what was going on. I am so sorry that I bothered you with those problems <laughs> because I had no idea. I mean, I can just still, I can see a couple of them, their face, just like, I am so sorry. So, you know, I think nobody really understands till you walked in those shoes, but I think leaders, it's a lonely job and it's hard to understand. And so we got to support our leaders too. Absolutely. So final question, what would you like for decision makers to know? Well, I thought about that question. You know, you gave me 
a heads up a little bit. And I thought about that and I thought, I really love for decision makers to get in our schools and see what's going on in our schools. Because I think we live in a day and age where we lean toward the negative. And so we see the bad news reports. We see the bad things that happen and bad things happen everywhere. I'm not going to take away from that at all, but there's a lot more good going on and we don't see that as much. We don't focus on that. We don't click on that. And I think if I could say anything to the decision makers, I'd say spend time in schools. And I'm very lucky in this job because as a a vice president for improvement services, I do a lot of problem solving with schools, but I've also said to my leaders, I want to be in schools because that's the only way I can be relevant and understand. I can't help schools problem solve and solution if I haven't been there in a couple of years, if I haven't seen it. And so every time I go and every time I work on a project, whether I'm in North Carolina in a charter school or Florida or North Dakota. I learn just as much from them as I hope they learn from me about what's going on in the day to day. And I just think so often if schools, if our decision makers spent some time in schools, they would see that as well. And so I think it's vital that we not just listen to the educators, but that we really spend time in school. That's what I would say. And um, I, over the years, being a principal for 16 years, I saw a lot of different board members and we had in Lexington, I think it was called Leadership Lexington and they assigned them to a school and I, they were always amazed. They had no idea what happened in a school from the principal's perspective inside the school. They had it from the parent perspective or the student perspective or, but so it was always great. Um, to see that. So I would say to decision makers, get in schools, visit, volunteer. You know, it went all the way back to when I was a classroom teacher and I carried this over when I was a principal. You know, if I had a parent that didn't like what was going on or didn't think they liked what was going on in my classroom, I would say come volunteer. You know what? It's going to help two things. One, you're going to see what I'm doing and understand it because sometimes it gets distorted from school to home, just like from home to school gets uh, mixed up a little. But I said, and two, you know, that's going to give me some insight on the kids and what they need. And so I will say it never backfired on me. If a parent was upset or had questions and they, I could get them in to volunteer, then they were like, oh, this makes sense. And so then when I became a principal, I said that all the time. I said, you know what? That parent, you know, doesn't understand what's going on. Invite them in to read, to just sit in the back and cut something while you're, because we don't, teachers don't have anything to hide. And when we can work together, that just makes all the difference in the world. So I would say, get in a school. I have to echo that. I think that that's so much of my own personal learning journey happened from getting into a school and then getting into other schools and then starting to see all the different breadth and depth of things. And that's honestly the inspiration for this podcast was I noticed that the perception of school and what problems are and what types of things are important changed from person to person and role to role. 
And I just think that instead of listening to national media and what they think are big issues in education, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Get into a school because so often I will listen to some reporting and go, they've obviously not been into a school. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent discussion. Thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts and uh, really appreciate you being a guest. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was great to catch up. It was great to hear about the great things your kids are doing and the great things you're doing. I mean, I can remember, I think uh, maybe not willingly, you became PTA president. <laughs> and yep. from there, the rest is history. So thank you for that. <laughs> and I'm glad I nudged you a little bit into that. I can remember saying, oh, Liza, you can do it. I'll help you. We can do this. <laughs> you were I like remember that. that vividly. And thank, yes. goodness, thank goodness you were the leader that you were because I was very unequipped. It came from, would you do a newsletter for us to, hey, why don't you be president of this amazing school PTA that has 53 committees and da, 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 da. so <laughs> yeah. it, it was, it was an adventure. So, well, but it started me on a great journey. So thank you. Well, and thank you. It was great to be here today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Education Perspectives. Feel free to share your thoughts on our Facebook page. Let us know which education perspectives you would like to hear or share. Please subscribe and share with your friends.